As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. There's no crying in baseball! I ate his liver with some father beans. I skinned. If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! And welcome to another episode of Your Next Favorite Movie. I am your host, Josh G. And today I'm joined by author Anthony Brownlee. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Excited. Absolutely. So why don't you go ahead and tell everyone about your books, where they can find them, and all that good stuff. I mostly do horror novels. Um... You can find them all on Amazon, uh, just under my full name, actually, Mark Anthony Brownlee, comma, books. You'll get to them uh, right away. Most of them have come from my love of, like, growing up loving slashers, um, but they're all pretty much modern day. They just, I don't really have any books that are, like, really any, like, I guess you could say um, uh, series. They're all, like, standalone, standalone books. Um, each one different holding a you know different type of horror message like one is a horror story about bullying called clandestine which is probably my favorite book I've written so far because it's kind of personal you know it was kind of I was definitely that kid that got bullied in school you know being that horror nerd that nobody understood which I'm sure (laughs) a lot of you guys can relate to so I thought it was kind of cool to you know kind of put my thoughts down in that one just for all those, you know, kind of underdogs who had that experience. And the rest really, they just, you know, just stories that I just came up with. Stories, I really write stories that I really wish I could have seen growing up, I guess, a little bit more. So my books are a little diversified. They got like a lot of, they have male heroes and protagonists, uh, most of whom are uh, young black males, uh, young black females. Um we didn't see that a whole bunch, you know, in the slasher era. So that was, so my books are in a sense, kind of like my contribution to that. Okay. Okay. And so just so everyone knows what they're looking for, you said clandestine. What are some of the names of the others? Just so we know what we're looking for. Clandestine, Resurrected, Mayhem, A Story of Two Brothers, which is actually a drama. The Last Victim, which is actually a thriller. Bloodshed. And let's see, I think that was, I think that's all six. Let me go back to Mayhem, Bloodshed, Clandestine, Story of Two Brothers, Resurrected, The Last Victim. Yep, that's six. All right. Got a nice little collection. And like you said, you can jump in anywhere because they're not a connected series. So Yeah, none are connected. So, yeah, you can dive in anywhere. Just start off wherever you want to. All right. So just check out Amazon. Sounds good. All right. So with this, we're going to get started. We're going back to 1984. This is definitely a classic from my childhood. We're talking about Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. Nightmare on Elm Street. No! No! She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails, no one will survive. Ah! Help me, please! Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street, rated R. 
All right, so I I know the story, but why don't you tell everyone, at least I know part of the story. When did you first see this film? I actually first saw this film when I was five years old. This would have been around 1991, 92. I saw it on an old recorded VHS tape from HBO. You know, the old school with the HBO sign coming down from the sky, like super (laughs) old school HBO. With my cousins, actually, my aunt showed us this movie. And that was pretty much the beginning of my love of Nightmare on Elm Street. From the moment the film started, I loved it from beginning to end. Okay. So what is it you love so much about Nightmare on Elm Street? What I love the most is really just the the act, the story itself. Um, You know... Most films in that era, you know, technically, you know, Nightmare was in the slasher era, but I personally don't consider it a slasher movie. I've always felt it was much deeper than a slasher film just because it dealt with the issue of dreams. And, you know, this isn't, you know, you know, some guy running around chasing you with a knife or an axe or, you know, it's, you know, it's deeper this is like your subconscious. This is where you're supposed to be the, the most safe. You right. know, when people feel trapped or, you know, alone or whatever it is, they retreat within themselves into their imagination within their subconscious. And, you know, now if there's something in there that can actually do you more harm than anything in real life, you know, you're not safe anywhere. And that was really what was capturing me. Obviously, a little bit more of that came later on at five years old you don't really quite grasp that whole concept but you know as i got older that's what i really started loving the most about it in the beginning was just because it was a really terrifying horror movie that was the first horror movie that i ever saw so it just it tear it terrified me because i was scared when i went to sleep i was going to see this guy freddy krueger in my dreams and just watching you know, the character of Nancy Thompson, she is still to this day my favorite heroine of all time. She, I mean, she just really took care of business, honestly. You know I mean, you see her, you know, start off as, you know, this young, typical, you know, 80s type of girl with her group of friends. And all of a sudden this, you know, external supernatural element comes in and she, you know, does what she can to figure it out. You know, um, I think Wes Craven said it best where, you know, it's not that she was fearless. It was more that she she was afraid, but she knew that there was something more than fear at play and had to take it in her own hands. And the elements that I love the most is her actually going after Freddy Krueger. You know, most girls in that era, they, you know, it's like they they figured they saw you know things were happening you know they kind of you know you know saw creepy things or heard creepy things you know throughout the movie and, and maybe the last 20 minutes 15 minutes there was a big chasing but Nancy knew pretty much from the beginning that something right. was she had to survive from the beginning and you know going after Freddie was something totally unique to a final girl at that time you know 
most of the time it was them that or the antagonist coming to them but she decided to take it in her hands to you know set up the booby traps you know read up what she could you know do what she can talk to her friends and and then she went after him and brought him out into the you know the real world and really just and i just love that whole climax scene where she just stands up to him at the end just you know she's you know, not facing him at first, you know, they're kind of having this, you know, kind of standoff and she faces him and then just, you know, says that, you know, that famous line, you know, I take back every bit of energy I gave you, you're nothing, you're shit. And it's just, you know, it was just really, that was, that's powerful. And, you know, she's not a girl who just happened to survive. She made sure she survived, you know what I mean? So it, it's all those elements, you know, within that movie that just hooked me. And there's so many awesome images in that movie. You know, the alley scene. Not the, even to this day, I still get a little creeped out over that alley scene where, you know, his arms are stretching out. And I just saw the, you know, the stuff when she falls asleep in school and she's like following Tina's, you know, dead corpse in the, you know, the hallway. You know, that that imagery, you know, is really dark. And me being, you know, five years old, you know, that yeah. definitely <laughs> tortured me at that young age, you know. But even though I was terrified, I mean, and when I say I couldn't sleep for you know, days, even weeks, just waking up in the middle of the night, freaking out. I still had to watch this movie every time I went to my cousin's house. We watched it every single time I was over there um, because it had captured me that much. Yeah, and in a way, you're kind of following what the movie tells you to do is which you, you have to face your fears. And that's what you're right. doing by watching it every time. So that's kind of right. <laughs> I remember my first time, I don't even think it was the original. I think I just caught I want to say four and five because I'm almost positive I remember Alice mm. being in the scenes or whatever. Right. And we caught it on like USA up all night back in the day or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to sleep. I remember waking up and I wasn't scared. It wasn't like I had a nightmare. I wasn't freaking out. I just woke up. I was like, oh, I had a dream about Freddy last night. Like I was happy I had a dream about Freddy. <laughs> right. Right. So, but yeah, so. I mean, you've talked about what the film's about, so let's go into what are what is your favorite sequel? I think I know this. I think I've, I've seen you talk about it, but my favorite sequel in Nightmare is actually Wes Craven's New Nightmare. That, and so, why is that? That film is just you know it you know it again went to another level. You know, we had the original Nightmare that was a game changer, and then you have something like Wes Craven's New Nightmare come out. 10 years later, later, that's a, a complete different type of game changer. That was, um, and so, you know, unfortunately, I never saw any of the uh, nightmares in, at the theaters. I was either not born or, you know, way too young to, you know, even ask to say like, oh, I'm going to go to the movies and see this, you know, this <laughs> film. So I actually saw Wes Craven's new nightmare at my cousin's house again. We, they had rented it from Blockbuster and, I was just so, I mean, but up until that point, I had seen all these specials about New Nightmare coming out. Um, there was like so many different types of specials and things going on that I feel like I don't see those anymore. Like I've never seen them like on any of the, you know, DVDs or anything, just some of the stuff that they used to put out back then. I was just following that the entire time and just, I was, I, I mean, I knew the film was coming, but the the concept still was kind of, falling short on me because I knew Heather was back in it and I knew um, some of the other original cast members were back in it and they're just like oh there's act- there are actors in Hollywood and I remember just being a little confused by that until you know I actually 
or till we actually sat down and you know watched the movie and then just watching those scenes I was just again just captured you know just like you know wow this is a whole at that time I was probably about 10 years old so you know my way of thinking was a little bit different at that point and I said even I knew I said okay this is something really different yeah and you know and we're really following Heather you know throughout this narrative and and what I love about horror films, especially back then, is the story. You know, it's not just automatically, okay, a bad guy comes, kills, and then this random stuff happens in another kill. And, you know, it, you know, I like, I love horror films that have like this, you know, really good deep story to it, you know, that has like a really, you know, deep meaning to it. That's kind of what I add in with my books as well. And Wes Craven's New Nightmare had all of that. And I, actually took me a few times to watch it to really understand it you know really understand it because um you know it's it's complex in a sense it's really a complex horror film and over the years like honestly well honestly i really feel like in those first several watches i knew that i love this film as much as i did the first one and to this day, I can't say I love one over the other. It's both. Anytime anybody ever asks me what my favorite film is, I always have to say Nightmare and Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I can never say either or. Okay, so you put them together. All right. Yes, (laughs) for sure. I mean, technically, you could look at them as one film. I mean, you could watch Nightmare and then watch Wes Craven's New Nightmare and still kind of know what's going on because of the way that, you know, it's written. You know, it's about... About Nancy and you know her battle against Freddie, and now it's you know out of the real world, you know R E E L, you know into the R E A L world, you right. know, and it's you know so it's very to me it's just, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating horror film. It is. I mean, it's it's meta before metal was a thing. You know, it's right. two years right. two years before Scream, which is when that right. really took off. Definitely a prelude. Definitely a prelude to Scream. So how do you feel about Dream Warriors, just so I can bring in the Nancy trilogy together? Dream Warriors, I, I do love. That's actually my third. Well, I guess technically second, you know, since I, you know, count them as, you know, one. That's right after because I, I love the Nancy trilogy. I love I love her story. Dream Warriors is one that I saw. I was probably about eight years old, I want to say, when I saw that. Because um, I never actually saw any of the nightmares for like really in sequence. I mean, I saw the first one first, and then I think I saw like part six, and then Oof. I saw like part five in daycare. Uh, yeah, daycare. In daycare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's that's a fun story. <laughs> so yeah, I saw them out of sequence. So then when I saw part three, it was just kind of like oh, like you know. So I actually saw part three before I saw New Nightmare. So, you know, when I saw another film that had Nancy in it, it you know, that, you know, kind of got me right away. And, you know, she was older. And, and, you know, by that time, I had seen some of the other actors that were in it do different things, like especially Patricia Arquette. You know, I'd seen her, you know, do other things. So I never even knew she was in the Nightmare on Elm Street film until this movie. And that one was just a lot of fun, you know, just because mostly up until that point you know you just kind of see maybe one person who's really dealing with the nightmare i mean yeah you know that these you know that you know friends are dealing with it but now it's like this whole group and you know they all really know and they're talking right. about it. they're talking about it with the adults you know and they're trying to can you know basically tell their plight of what's happening nobody believes them and then you know 
in comes Nancy Thompson, who's already been through it. You know, now she's an adult. She's the only one of the Elm Street children who made it to adulthood, you know, so she has that that knowledge and, you know, just passing it on and letting them know what's inside of them to, you know, kind of, you know, beat Freddie or what the steps they can do to beat Freddie, letting them know what their dream powers are and, you know, taking advantage of it. I will say, I mean, obviously I do love it, but I will say that I actually sometimes wish we could have seen uh, Wes Craven and Bruce Wagner's original script. I don't know if you've read that one. I have not, but that I was going to have you, uh, well, one second. Before we go to this next step, we're going to sideline this. I have to hear the Nightmare on Elm Street and Daycare story real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just, that is just oh, rolling man. around in my brain. Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I was actually about six at this time. Uh uh, the daycare I went to, I mean, I guess you could say it was, it was a little ghetto, definitely a little ghetto. And all I can remember is somebody, one of the other kids brought it in. And I guess the, you know, adults there did not, they either didn't care, or just didn't mind us watching this movie. You know, this was on VHS. So this was the unrated version of Nightmare 5. So we were in, I remember us sitting around on this little pattern rug that was in there i mean everything all little kids toys just sitting around and they turn on the nightmare on elm street part five the dream child and i remember being excited because i had seen part one and part six at this time so i kind of knew about freddie and a lot of the other kids really didn't i remember them you know asking what it's about and i was really into telling him like, oh yeah, it's about this guy. He comes to you in your dreams and he's got these knives on his hands and that's how he kills people. And I mean, I was, I remember just going on this huge, this tale, just like super excited. And we watched that whole film in daycare when I was oh. six years old. Wow, that, that is crazy. That would never fly today. Oh my God. <laughs> right, that's what I said back then, it was totally different. But yeah, there's yeah, there's no way today it definitely will fly. Yeah, a, te- a teacher did that. That teacher would be fired as soon as right. a parent found out. That teacher would no longer be a daycare worker. Oh man, oh, yeah. it was awesome though. Like I, I love telling that story. Every time I tell people, they always kind of look at me like, <laughs> they, like they're expecting me to say, like, you joking? Like I'm I put that on anything, anything that I love. That's how I watched the Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5. Oh, wow. That is great. So, and you can talk about the Wes Craven one. Well, first of all, yeah, tell us about that. I don't think I'm actually familiar with this, the sequel he originally wanted to do. Yeah, that, um, I've read it actually several times. Um, I found it years ago online. If you've ever heard of the Nightmare Companion, this was a little bit before it got taken over um by the new people running it so this is probably back in i want to say 2004 2005 when i first read the story really starts off uh with nancy she's actually more to who she was at the end of part one so in this in this version she's not a psychologist she's a girl who's on this mission to find her father because donald thompson has pretty much been missing almost since the end of part one so she's just been on this mission kind of, you know, going around trying to find him. And she happens to run into Neil Gordon. And well, actually in the script, his name is in that original script, his name is Neil Goldman in the original script. And 
he and they they meet and you know they you know he kind of sees her kind of like as this you know it kind of feels sorry for her just because of you know what she's uh, kind of dealing with trying to find her father and he invites her to stay at his house and while she's there you know he ends up going to work at Weston Hills and so some of the scenes are a little bit similar to where you know she's just coming to visit with him and Kristen's you know doing the Elm Street you know little rhyme and then she finishes it and some of the workers hear all that and then they actually kind of bring her on as like an assistant a little bit so she's not really like like I said she's not a psychologist but it seems like she knows a little bit about what's going on or some way that she can reach these kids a little bit so they kind of bring her on for that reason and like several of the characters that are in the theatrical version are not in this original script like Jennifer and Philip are not in this script Will is in the script but his name is Laredo and he's the one who actually builds the house not Kristen Taryn is in it but she's actually a black girl Joey's in it Kincaid and that's pretty much it like that's like kind of like the core group right there and a lot of it is well i say one of the big changes is Kristen actually leaves Weston Hills halfway through the original script and she actually goes back to school and she actually gets made fun of a lot because you know all the students find out that she's you know been in this like you know crazy house and um she's having a hard time now being in school and um they all kind of you know have to convene back because they still have to defeat Freddie and during all this, Nancy actually finds out that her father's been in Weston Hills this entire time. Freddie has actually gotten to him and has like scratched his eyes out. So he's been blinded and he's oh. been like in this little isolation this whole time. And uh, not to make it like, you know, too long cause I could really go, <laughs> go deep into that. But some of the, the climax stuff is a little bit different to where um, Nancy, the whole, she does actually still die in this original script, but she's not fooled by Freddie's glamour when he pretends to be her father. You know, it's in that same scene. He, you know, comes to her and he's, you know, being Donald Thompson. And then she kind of backs away and she's like, there's something in her that's telling her, she says, you know, you're not my father. And, you know, he, Freddie comes back to, you know, to himself and pretty much Nancy and Freddie almost basically fight to the death, you know? And I said, that was actually much more if they you know if they if she had to go i would have rather her gone out that way than right. before because she was such a strong character that i mean even Wes, him writing it he knew that she wouldn't fall for that you know what i mean so when they did the theatrical version they really did it more for shock value like oh my gosh you know nancy stabbed her you know this so but you know character wise that to me never really fit you know because she to me she was too strong you know for that and okay. so, you know, at the end, you know, after she's killed, Kristen and Neil kind of meet up, you know, it's been like, I think it's, what was it like, I think it's like two or three months later, and then they're at Neil's house, and Nan, uh, they're have, or Kristen and Neil are having dinner together, and, and um, you know, there's just kind of talking, and he's talking about how later on he's going to go visit Nancy, you know, when he sleeps, because Kristen has dreamed her into the beautiful dream, so Neil basically sees her every night, because now she's the guardian of the good dreams and so because basically Kristen at the end of this one Kristen is like the only one that really survives like Kincaid is dead and everything like that build him off and everything in this one so in this version she's really the only one that survived oh wow okay yeah 
All right, so let's get into what you might not want to talk about a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the remake. What are your thoughts on the remake? <laughs> uh, uh, the remake. Oh, man. Well, funny enough, I was actually working at a movie theater when it came out. So, I mean, I never really wanted them to do a remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. I have just always thought it was perfect as is. But, you know, the remakes were really all coming out at that time. We had already had Texas Chainsaw, Halloween, and Friday the 13th, I think, at that time. Yep. So, honestly, I, I, I just kind of knew it was a matter of time before, you know, it got to Nightmare. So, at that stage, I could just hope, only hope that, you know, maybe they, you know, obviously I know, knew it wouldn't be anywhere near the original, but at least, you know, decent, a decent film, you know, in the you know, modern day. And when I actually watched it, I was really just disappointed, you know, just because it, I felt like things just happened way too fast. Like, you know, they had the initial death in the very beginning with the Dean character, you know, he ends up dying and the girl that's like kind of as, you know, Chris Fowles playing the Tina character, you know, they kind of do the same thing where you think like, you know, maybe she's going to be the one that survives. Right. So they had those elements, but, it just happened to they literally killed those three characters the dean character the chris character and the jesse character within a, i want to say 20 minutes of the film and then you had this huge long gap where nobody else dies until the mom dies at the end you know so it was just yeah. all you know basically at this point it was just you know nancy and uh quentin's character just i guess on a mission and it just it just didn't feel right. I'm just like, they just, I say, y'all really, they really just did all the deaths way too fast. And the, the way Nancy was in part one, you know, you watch her grow throughout the entire film, you know, in the original and like it builds up to her at the end. And she's finally, you know, at that stage where she can actually now go and hunt Freddie down. But I felt like Nancy Holbrook, all she was doing was calling for Quentin the entire time. Every time something happened, I need Quentin. Where's Quentin at? I mean, it's like, that's not Nancy. You know, it's, you know, they they really turned Nancy Holbrook into just, you know, a final girl where Nancy Thompson to me is a survivor girl. And, you know, there is a difference, you know, and just with, I, I, I mean, I guess if I give it some credit, I did like that they, you know, went to the darker elements of Freddie again, because that's what I did always kind of missed you know in the later sequels um you know dark freddy you know i love freddy most in part one two and you know new nightmare and kind of you know in three you know he's still kind of that darkness um but it was definitely a prelude to the mtv freddy coming in you know right yeah yep which uh and going back to the west's original script that they had really stuck to that there's no way they could have made that leap because freddy was still as dark as he was in part one or or I could even say almost darker than he was in part one. So that I liked. I did like the, the micro naps aspect. You know, I thought that was kind of a cool little touch. So stuff like that, you know, I thought was cool that they, you know, okay, I can see, you know, you adding that stuff in, making it a little bit different. But overall, it just didn't work, especially the CGI aspect. I didn't, you know, Nancy's falling asleep in her bed and then Freddie's doing the wall thing. And it's almost like water. I'm like, it actually looked more realistic in 84 than it did in 2010. Yep, completely just agree. Bandex and lighting, it looked way more realistic. And I'm, 
And they said they the main reason they wanted to do it was because like, oh, now we got all this technology. It'll look even more better, even more fantastic. And to me, it was just a dumpster fire. I was just like, I, I was really, really disappointed. And then especially since they didn't, you know, consult Wes, you know, I read that, that they didn't even go to Wes for any advice or, you know, use him for any, you know, you know, technical consulting or anything like that, which I felt was a slap in the face to him, you know, you know, this was his baby, basically. He's always talking about Nightmare is one of his favorite films that he ever did. And then for, for them not to even go to him for any type of advice. And then they hired a guy who's mostly known for doing music videos, you know. So it just all around, it just it just did not work for me. It just all right. Like, well, well that, that's good, because this is what I want you to do. You get to recast your own Nightmare remake. And you can choose a director if you want, but definitely Freddie and Nancy. At least the two. You got to at least get the two main. So, so okay. So you're saying if I had the choice to choose, who would I choose? Right. Because, I mean, play I know character. there's a popular choice that goes around on who people think should play Freddie next if they're going to do mm-hmm. it. I'm curious to see if you say that choice or say a different choice. Well, I have seen a few of them. One that I, I saw that I kind of thought would be an interesting choice was Doug Jones. I haven't I heard. I haven't heard that people say him, but okay. I hadn't heard that? Okay. Because I know one popular one is Kevin Bacon. Yeah, that's the that's the one I'm used to hearing the one? a lot. Yeah. yeah. Before I heard really heard the Kevin Bacon one, I was really hearing Doug Jones. And I was okay. like, I didn't think. And I said, that might actually be an interesting choice Could Doug Jones is really like a, to me, like a chameleon actor, you know, and he's got, he's kind of got that, I guess, best way to say it, that really unconventional look to him, you know, to where, you know, I could see if, you know, maybe he put on that makeup, you know, put that glove on, put that hat on, you know, he might be, you know, kind of the new 21st century Freddy, because I know if we want these sequels to continue, like, I mean, we have to, as Nightmare fans, be open you know, to their, you know, being somebody other than Robert. I mean, we just have to, you know, I've kind of come, you know, to that realization, you know, I mean, to me, Robert will always be Freddie. I mean, you can't honestly replace what he did, the legacy that he brought, but, you know, if we want these films to go on, we just, we just have to. And so if they really get these good choices, like I say, like Doug Jones, I mean, I could even see Kevin Bacon doing it a little bit. You know, he's a he's a really good. I mean, he's done so many different types of roles. I actually could kind of see him doing Freddy, you know. And if I could choose a Nancy. <laughs> oh, that's like, oh, that'll be that's kind of hard. I don't know. Ah, that's crazy. <laughs> Well, look, maybe even like we could even look. What what if we took a big leap and made Nancy a black girl in this movie, no. or even a Hispanic hey, we, girl? I mean, there aren't there are no rules, There's right? No rules you to know. This. So anything like, let me see. There's a few few young actresses I've seen, like let me see, uh, Kat Graham. I could see her as a new modern day Nancy. Um, okay, I'm not familiar with that name. Kat Graham, she was actually in the Vampire Diaries. Um, she played Bonnie Bennett. She was the witch. Yeah, I didn't watch Vampire Diaries, but that one, she, if you see her, you could, I would, I mean, she's actually a little older now. Like she's probably like in her late 20s. 
but she still has like a really young look to her. Oh yeah, then we're doing it. You know that we'll, we'll cast people right. in their thirties in these teenagers. Right, <laughs> right. I've always thought. Uh, let me see, Lindsay Fonseca. She, she actually kind of resembles like a, like a Heather Lane Camp. She was, you know, fair skinned girl. You know, long dark brown. You know, curly hair. Um, she's probably been acting since like maybe the late nineties. She's always been a cool. I always thought about her being like a new new age nancy honestly really to me really anybody anybody that you know can hold their own who can you know kind of you know not abandon what heather did but obviously make the role their own so i always say you you know if you're going to make do these remakes or you know whatnot you always always have to respect the original you know respect where it came from but obviously, you know, you just, you know, maybe use that character as a template, you know, use the, you know, the format that Heather, well, I guess that Wes laid out of, you know, writing Nancy and then use Heather's, you know, kind of example of playing Nancy and just always keep in mind of like, you know, you have that fear, but, you know, you got to slowly rise above that fear, you know, so as long as they kind of keep that, I feel like, you know, as long as they did the right casting, I feel like, you know, there could be any any young girl that could really, you know, do Nancy in this modern day era. I mean, obviously it's going to be different because we're, you know, we're in 2021. You know, it's a you know, far cry from 1984. So there has to be some type of difference with her because this is a new age, a new era. There's new things going on in the world. There's, yep. you know, kinds of stuff. So all that stuff has to factor in, you know. Honestly, yeah, though, I mean, that's that's pretty much my outlook on it. Okay, so what I want you to do for anyone who maybe hasn't seen Nightmare for whatever reason, they haven't seen Nightmare on Elm Street, make that final pitch, maybe even to like a non-horror fan, why they should take a chance on this. Because like you say, it's not a typical slasher movie. You know, it's got deeper than that. Right. Pitching this to not pitching Nightmare to me, it's just, you know, if you want to go into a movie you know, even if you're not particularly comfortable or, you know, you kind of still have some reservations about horror, just open your mind to the fact that it's about dreams and you dream, you sleep. What if there's this element that's in your in your subconscious that you can't control? And there's so many levels to that. Um, people who, you know, are going through, you know, uh, you know, mental issues, especially, you know, going on right now, you know, I mean, if it's, you know, bipolar or, you know, something with your mental health because of, you know, tragedy or circumstance, imagine if this thing had taken some type of form, you know, what would it look like? So Nightmare on Elm Street, it's actually a result of, you know, the, or I, I guess the best way to say Freddy is basically a product of an act that was so, I guess, horrendous that he couldn't, that this is the only shape that he could take. And it would, and it's in the mind of the younger generation who now have to suffer the sins of their parents, which is actually almost biblical. You know, the sins of the fathers fall down to the, fall down to their children. So, you know, nightmare, you can really taste it, take it, you know, philosophically, you can take it spiritually 
Um, so it opens so many doors, you know, of how you want to look at this film. And, and it being more of a slasher, you know, you know, don't look at it as like, oh, this is just a bunch of, you know, teenagers running around, you know, topless, you know, being slashed. You know, there's a reason behind, you know, these deaths. It's not just by circumstance or, you know, oh, they're just in the way, so they're just being off. There's a particular reason these certain kids are being chosen and and they have to deal with it, you know, no matter what. They can't run away from it. You know, like we can't run away from our problems. We have to face them. Just like Freddie, he's in our head. We have to face him. We have to sleep eventually. So at yeah. some point we have to face him no matter what. And so are you in that right mindset or have you, you know, faced, you know, faced your fears up to a point to where you can face what's going on, you know, in your life, you know, the Freddie in your life, in a sense. So to, to me, Freddie is everything because he's in your subconscious. He's every good thought you ever had, every bad thought you ever had. He can be anything inside your mind. So it's basically facing yourself. And, you know, that's how I've always kind of just looked at, as I've gotten older, that's how I've really seen Nightmare. And, you know, just because it's in the horror genre doesn't mean you should automatically disregard it. Um, yeah, we have dramas, we have comedies, we have musicals. One of the other genres we have is horror because a lot of times in life, things in our life are scary. You know, maybe not to this extreme, but our version of scary. Some people have the fear of their, where their next meal is coming from. Um, they just lost their job. What are they going to do next? You know, those are, those are real world fears. And so things in life are scary. And, you know, sometimes we do see some things supernatural, you know, that we can't explain. You know, I've seen things in my life that I can't explain. And I'm just kind of like, wow. Like, you know, even to this day, I still can't explain it. And to me, that's what nightmare is. So it's it's very deep. So that's that's how I would pitch nightmare to anybody who is curious about it. Okay, and I think before we wrap this up, I've been looking and I see you got at least three nightmare off three, four, and I think oh. you got all four of them, don't you? Sign posters back there. Right, yeah, there's part one. There's two, three, four, five <clears throat> is on that wall. Yeah. Five and six, and then seven is over here. Oh man, that is awesome! <laughs> and they are all signed. Yes, <laughs> I, I was to say I see signatures everywhere, and that is awesome. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was going to take a minute, and for those listening to this, go watch the YouTube video. This will be on YouTube as well because this next part is going to be visual. Have you ever heard of Thirteen uh, X Studios? They make like masks. They take like hockey masks, but they'll take them, turn them into any kind of character really i actually don't think i've heard of them oh good well i'm gonna show you something new tonight because first of all okay. just so i can show i was representing i got my freddie and jason shirt on from cavity oh, colors nice. okay yes. <laughs> love, love that, that shirt. shirt but yeah this was a custom mask i had rick make me he's the owner of it and i was like he was when robert england came to dragon con a couple years ago mm-hmm 
And I was like, are you going to have, he has the red and green sweater mask. That's typical Freddie. But I was like, are you going to make okay. a special mask? And he messaged me one day and said he had time to make one special mask. So, and I don't think he's ever made this mask again. I'll have to ask him, but I want to take a chance to show it. Cause it's like a burned Freddie. Oh, like I say. Well, nice. Yeah. So if you look, it's signed by Ronnie Blakely, Ronnie Blakely played Nancy's mom. I got Amanda Wiss right here because yes. I got her line, the please God, no. <laughs> and then, of course, even though it's not the Freddy glove, which would be perfect, I had right. Robert Englund sign it, this is God. Nice. Yes. That's awesome. So, yeah, if you're not watching the YouTube, definitely check that out. And, you know, I'm going to show you one more thing because I got this. Robert the Freddy sign. I got Freddie and Jason, but yeah. Oh, I didn't see the Jason. Oh, it's awesome. Signed by Robert England, tatted in. Right. And awesome. he still does those for free, right? He'll like he'll autograph those for free, right? The tats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then right. Jason signed by Kane Hodder. So just showing my love for the genre as well oh, as yeah. well. But yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, we're gonna wrap this one up. So why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online and tell them where they can get your books again. Uh, you can find me, um, on my social medias. I've got, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, Facebook is just Anthony Brownlee. Uh, Twitter is Ant Lost in Horror. And, uh, Instagram is Anthony the Dreamer. And you can find all my books on Amazon under my full name, Mark Anthony Brownlee, comma books. And you will find all six published. All right. And as always, you can follow the show at YNF Movie Pod. We're on Twitter and Instagram. We'll get available wherever you get your podcast. And be sure to come back next week because I'll have a new guest and a new movie. And who knows, that may become your next favorite movie. You guys take care. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>